Want to know what strategies real graduates use to launch their career? Well, here's your chance. From personal stories to insider tips, our interviews with graduates and campus recruiters will equip you with the knowledge and inspiration you need to take off and stand out from the crowd. Brought to you by Prospel, your one-stop shop for finding and securing your dream internship or fresh graduate job. Could you start by maybe telling us your background story? What brought you to Australia and what you've been doing here? Yeah, sure. My name is Jay Anosu. I'm originally from China and I moved to Australia as an international student back to 2017. And I started off with my, doing my Bachelor of Arts degree in the University of Melbourne. And I majored in media and communication and also cultural studies. And yeah, what brought me to Australia was I was really looking for uh, adventure because I've already spent like my first 20 years back in China and I want to explore the world and also just to see how people in different parts of the world, how's life look there. So that's why um, I made the decision to move to Australia. I firstly started as a Bachelor of Arts student in Melbourne Uni, as I've mentioned, majoring in media and communication and cultural study. And I did one semester exchange at the University of Hong Kong in my second year of uni. And then after graduate from my bachelor, I just studied my master's degree in speech pathology in the same uni and graduate in 2021. And after that, I work as speech pathologist across different settings, for example, like private prep clinic and also um, in public hospital. Cool, cool. I'm sure you've been asked this a lot before, but how did you go from uh, marketing and communications to speech language pathology? In my final year of um, bachelor degree, I actually did a um, internship in one of the local market research companies. Um, and back then we had a kind of project that is collaborate with um, NDIS, the National Disability um insurance scheme that um the government just um gave the funding to people to access therapy service for those people who have disabilities and um i was a part of the um market research company um to do this um project and um during the project i realized there's a huge gap for people who from multicultural backgrounds to access the healthcare service in australia because the healthcare system system is pretty complicated and also different from what they have back home. So I feel like I'm very um, interested into this field and also feel very passionate to help people who are already very disadvantaged in society. So that's why I've decided to restart from scratch and in speech pathology. Did you ever think you would be working in a healthcare setting before you did your marketing internship? Or was this like a totally new direction that you discovered? That's a very like brand new direction for me because before I start my uni degree, I was always thinking I want to be one of the fancy office ladies working in like the CBD area with a coffee in hand and have like numerous meeting calls with other people talking about the slides, the presentations, etc. But yeah, after the marketing internship, I just realized, yeah, I feel like my passion is about how to help people. Mm. That's awesome. That's that's mm. great that you discovered it before it was too late. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. I really like appreciate the opportunity just to um enable myself to find a brand new direction that I feel like, oh, I can devote my entire life to that. That's super awesome. Got it, got it. And could you tell us what speech language pathology is for those of us who don't know and how that how you use it to help people who are disadvantaged? Yeah, no worries. Basically, for speech pathology, we help people across the lifespan. So we help people from as a very young infant to um, elderly people. And uh, we mainly help um, with their communication and swallowing. So everything related to mouth, uh, if that will be easier to understand. So basically, the speech sound you make, the safety of eating and drinking, the understanding of language, the ability to make sentences, and also building relationship with others, for example, the social skills. Those are the things we are helping people with. And as I said, we help people across the lifespan. So for just for example, we can help children with their ability to say the speech sound properly. And also we can also help people, for example, after stroke to be able to communicate and eat and drink without choking. Mm. Does it answer your question? Yeah, that's fascinating. Wow, I had no idea that you also help people with like swallowing and everything. That sounds really important. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Is it mainly Australians who maybe they need help with their speech or people with, from international backgrounds? Yeah, so I feel like um, working in the healthcare setting, uh, we just provide um, equal services to um, people, no matter what background they're coming from. And, and also coming from a multicultural background myself, helped me to understand people who speak another language better so sometimes um for example if we have some people they're really sick and they're coming from a different cultural background and they're too sick to communicate i feel like coming from this background make me feel more aware of their difficulty and also to communicate with them in a more effective and comfortable ways can you maybe walk us through a typical day at your role yeah, so uh, I'm currently working in a community health center under a public hospital. Basically, my day could vary. It could be di- very different depending on which day of the week you are in. Usually, I will start with a morning huddle. So we work with other healthcare professionals as well. So for example, occupational therapist, physiotherapist, and even pediatrician, social worker. Everyone in our team, we gather together in the morning just to chat about how's the day going to look like, how we are going to support each other, and yeah, just to work out a plan see how we collaborate and provide service to people and after that usually I will have one-on-one appointments for the appointments it could be either like an assessment or um, one-on-one therapy or even group therapy or um, collaboration with um, for example the other day I had a collaboration with um, my occupational therapist colleague so um, we are seeing a child who has language delay as well as um, emotion regulation difficulties, which is very interesting. Yeah. So um, after my one-on-one or assessment or whatever, I will have time to write my notes and also just do some self-direct learning because sometimes we really need to keep updated with the recent evidence and therapy approaches. Yeah. So that's basically what my day look like. What do you think is the coolest thing you've done so far as a speech language pathologist? 
Yeah, I was trying to、uh, find an example like this morning on my way to work. Say, oh, how could I find an example to show people how cool my job is? Yeah, back to a, around a year ago, I was working as a、um, speech pathologist in a non-for-profit organization, and I was working with a child with a refugee background from Afghanistan, and、um, she has cerebral palsy. So basically, for cerebral palsy, it really impacting your、uh, muscle movement. So it's really hard for her to say each single word. So because if the muscle is not working, and you don't have the power for you to um make different shapes of your mouth and even to coordinate your tongue and your teeth just to make every single sound. Literally, she's like nonverbal, and as she's already four year old, so like she has a very crystal clear. Idea in her brain, but like just like the signal between her brain and muscle is like a there was a breakdown, so it's hard for her to say single sound. As a speech pathologist, and also thinking about refugee background, this family they are facing a really hard、uh, financial burden. They don't have the financial affordability to download those fancy app that you can um just use on iPad. That's really not affordable for them. So what I've done is I bought two buttons: the yes button and the no button that you can find in grocery or Kmart, and just to show the little girl how to use the red for no and green for yes. And because she still has the hand strength to hit the button, after we tried a little bit, she's able to use this button confidently and for the first time ever to let her mom know how、oh, she doesn't want to drink milk, for example. Or she want more rice by hitting the yes button. So I think this is a very cool thing, or one thing I feel really proud of. Because first, I help her to find a way to communicate with her family members, and second, it's really affordable for their family. Yeah. So I just give her. I feel like I gave her the voice to express her own idea. Wow, that's super empowering. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So before then, she couldn't. Really communicate with anyone. Then, if like she couldn't even、yeah. say yes or no, wow. Exactly, because she doesn't have the ability to like shake or nod her head because of the cerebral palsy. She's like already locked on the wheelchair. Yeah. Wow, that's super cool. Yeah. Can I ask when you decided you wanted to stay in Australia, like after graduation? Because I know some people they they want to go back to their own country. So, at what point did you make that decision? I think、um, it was before I was applying for my master's degree. Yeah, it's just because I feel like once if I decided to work in healthcare, the first thing is the healthcare system is more、um, established in Australia. And also the welfare system here is more established as well. So like people have the access to、um, quality healthcare, and also all of the research,、um, and also like the the therapy approach, they're more advanced just in the speech pathology field. That's why I've decided to stay here before I decided which master program I'm gonna to apply for. Do you think you want to stay in Australia long term, or do you ever see yourself living in other places or going back to China? I feel like Sue's up in in air at the moment because the other benefit of working as a speech pathologist is um the registration is um recognized across different countries. So for example, I can transfer my license to um the UK or Canada or Hong Kong or Singapore. So I can continue work as speech pathologist there. And also, I do have colleagues that previously worked in UK for a while and then moved back to Australia. 
at this stage, I don't want to set a limit for myself saying, oh, I'm going to stay in Australia forever because I feel like I'm still young and I do have a list of things to do before I turn 30. Yeah. Mm, but I'm going to make the best use of the benefits that my registration brings to me. That's the only thing I'm 100% sure at the moment. You talked about benefits of your registration. Uh, could you tell us a bit more about that? Yes. If you want to find a job in Australia as a speech pathologist, one of the requirements is you must have a registration with Speech Pathology Australia, which is the national body that looking after or regulate all of the practicing speech pathologists in Australia. And to be a registered speech pathologist, you need to complete one of the recognized or certified course. So, yeah, so that's how, so after you graduate, you can apply for the registration straight away. So that's the process of being to get a registration or the license. But different countries, they have different requirements. But once you get the registration in Australia, you can transfer it or convert to other English speaking countries just to meet their requirements. Got it. And when you register, do you have to take certain exams or how does that work? Yeah, so basically you just need to pass your uni courses, but the uni course is really hard to pass, I would say, because it's not only about theories, but also you need to pass your like interview exam and also like your placements as well. For the course for each semester, we have, for example, four to five theoretical courses. For these courses, they're pretty similar to other uni courses. You need to do your readings, do your assessments, and also do your essays and also pass the final exams so that's one of the very typical uni course the other part is what we call OSCE so OSCE is basically the uni they will hire some actors and actresses to act like patients so you need to put your speech pathology hat on to interact with them and to handle any unexpected situations and also there will be an examiner sitting in the same venue with you and they will do the writing. So that's what we call OSCE. So like the interview assessment and the other part is the placements. So back to my course, we had five placements you need to pass. And one of the experienced speech pathologists will be your supervisor and they are going to do your writing. And if they fail you, you have to redo the placements or have a negotiation with the uni to work out an, an alternative plan. So that's the three main parts for the entire course. You have to pass every single step before you can graduate. Can I ask what placements are? As I've mentioned, because we work with people across the lifespan and also we work on different areas, for example, communication and swallowing. So our placement is basically yet need to cover all of that that so like the population we are working with and also the area of treatments that my first placement was in a private practice working with children who have speech sound errors and also I had two hospital placements working with adult population for example after stroke or with chronic neural conditions for example Parkinson disease or Huntington disease I did a placement in a primary school working on literacy and also what else did I do? Yeah, and also just general therapy with children who have autism. Mm. What do you think was the most challenging part of these placements? So I think the overall challenge I had was the language of cultural barrier, I would say, because yeah, working with patients 
they're not only patients who have medical condition, they are also humans. To build up the relationship with them, you need to know the culture, to start your chit chats, to start your um, daily checking in. And as a foreigner myself, it's really hard to find a common topics as an icebreaker to start a conversation. That's one of the biggest challenges I found. And the other thing was how to, like the, the communication wise, I would say, although I'm a person who help people with communication problem, I personally have communication problem, like how to talk with people and make yourself to be understood in, in different ways. And also how to make your written communication professional when you communicate with different healthcare professionals. And also when you work in the hospital in particular, it has so many acronyms and abbreviations. So that's a culture shock for me just to learn all of the abbreviations. The small talk part, I think, comes up a lot when I'm interviewing international students. Uh, How did you work on it? Yeah, I feel like I'm still a kind of working process, to be honest. But uh, I find my um, tricks. So for example, um, because I'm working in the pediatric setting, so like the working with kids. So basically, um, the training TV shows, for example, Bluey, Peppa Pig could be a good um, icebreaker. And also just the plan for weekends, that could be a good topic as well. And also just to try to know your clients or your patients a bit better. For example, if you work with them for a while, you will know what's their holiday plan going to look like. For example, how's their pets at home or even the public holidays recently passed. So that could be also good ice-breaking conversation topics. Mm. And then you also mentioned written communication at the hospital. Can you tell us more about what that means and how you maybe overcame that challenge? Yeah, so I feel like the challenge part for written communication is the purpose of your communication. So what is the purpose for your reports? So sometimes, for example, we write reports for applying funding or we write reports to advocate for the kiddo to get more support in school. Or sometimes you just want to write down some key points to communicate with the treating doctors. You really have to customize your language. It depends on your audience. So that's one thing I found a bit challenging. But one strategy I personally found useful was build up your own templates. You can just pick up your templates, depend on who is your reader. For my current work setting, I write a lot of letters to the doctors because they are doctors. We use a lot of abbreviations or terminologies because we share the same understanding. Same thing for island health professionals. That's one thing I feel it's easy because it's straight off my, my head. I don't have to make further explanations for that. Yeah. And another thing is writing reports for um, teachers and um, parents. So it really depends on the purpose of your reports. For example, if you want to write a report just to update the progress, um, the language really needs to be parent-friendly. So no jargons, no terminologies, and also be a strength-based because um, you don't want to demolish parents' confidence And for the teacher, it really needs to be a really firm tone and also jargon-free as well, because although they're a teacher, they're professional as well, but like we have different specialties and also being functional because the purpose for teacher to read the reports is is to how to support the kiddo better um, in the educational setting. So um, that's the other thing. 
And also for writing the reports, for applying funding, it could be a bit different as well because here you are advocating for your patients and you want to um, get more support for them. So it's really need to be like needs-based. So you really have to outline what kind of area they require support. I think one thing I found helpful was during my placement, I asked for a lot of report templates or examples that I can learn from, which my supervisors have helped a lot. And also in my current workplace, because I, I am the only non-native speaker in this environment. So I have a bunch of lovely colleagues that can that I can like feel free to ask questions for. Yeah, so I think that could be like two strategies I've used so far to help with my written communication. I wanted to ask about that second point, actually. You are the only non-native speaker in a field that I would assume is mostly native speakers. You mentioned your your field has to do with pronunciation. So how does that work as someone not from the country that you're practicing in? Yeah, I think for as a speech pathologist, the underlying principle is about how to treat speech errors, not about how to fix the accent, because there are two different things. Like fixing the accent, that's more a job for an accent coach. But treating the speech arrows, that's more like a job for a speech pathologist. And also treating speech arrows, um, it's not only about how would you adjust your accent. Because usually like in English, we have consonants, we have vowel. So like consonants is but those little bits. And a vowel is like R, E, U. So usually um, the vowels, they are the key points to like, determine your accent. Like in in English, we have Australian accent, we have American, we have British accent. So that's all related to the vowel. But usually the speech error, they happen in the consonants. If you can say the consonant properly, it doesn't matter what kind of accent you are speaking. Can I ask what are the most common like consonant issues uh, that you, you help treat? Yeah, so uh, a very classic one was called fronting. Basically, like when kids are learning to talk, they are able to say the sound in isolation, but when they assemble the sound into the order, sometimes they may drop one sound or they may replace one sound to another. So fronting is one of the arrow that the replacing and sequencing issue. For example, for car, like driving car, some kiddos, they will say ta. The name code fronting is because the ka, the cut sound, it's a backing sound. You are using the back of your mouth to say the sound, but they're replacing a front sound. So you are using the front part of your mouth. So that's what we call fronting. So for example, a kid will say, I want to drive a red car, but actually they mean I want to drive a red car. So that's one of the very typical error. And the other arrow is replacing the root sound with W. For example, red carrot, they would say a wet carrot. Yeah, those are two very typical arrows that I've found so far. And how long would you say it generally takes to fix these kinds of errors? 
Yeah, so it's really hard to give a concrete number because it really depends on so many factors. For example, if they are finishing their homework as prescribed and also like their attention and their ability to understand instructions and also like um, whether like their cognition level is there already and even about their vocabulary because for all of the speech errors, you need to have a real word to, as a carrier. So um, those factors would all take into consideration when you think about um, how long it's going to take to fix the error but um, usually based on the evidence for one speech error it's going to take six weeks roughly to fix that. Going back to your placements uh, it sounds like you're placed in a lot of different healthcare settings um, mm -hmm. based on your experience what are some pros and cons or, or things to look out for in each of those different settings? Yeah, so I think um, working in different settings um, is really related to how you are going to plan your career and also um, what kind of population you want to work with. For example, in the hospital setting, it's going to be very medical and um, maybe you mainly work with people who have medical conditions. So sometimes it could be really stressful because of the medical setting and it's really fast paced. But on the other hand, it could be very productive because you are giving a deadline to finish everything. So everything needs to be very fast paced you are going to um, make your clinical decision really quickly. So that's for um, the hospital setting. And also you can work with a lot of different people like doctors, nurses, dietitians, all of the very knowledgeable people. And you have a team to work with. That's for um, the general hospital setting. And um, for the private um, clinic setting or non-for-profit clinical setting, I think um, you really had the chance to work with the family in a long term. So it really gives you the um, opportunity to um, try different things and tracking on their progress because you have a longer period of time to witness how the kid is going to or how the patient is going to achieve their goal in a long-term way. You are not in a rush to finish everything. But on the other hand, sometimes it could be a bit repetitive because thinking about the long-term nature because you are working with them for one year or two years. Yeah, sometimes you really have to repeat the same thing over and over again. And also in the education setting, which I personally don't have a lot of experience. I only had my placement in that setting. But yeah, so for the education setting, you have to collaborate with the parents, with the carer, and also with the teacher. And also approach you are using, they really need to be academic focused. It's going to be a very challenging but an interesting experience for those who want to work in the education setting. Did your placements help you decide where you wanted to work full-time after graduating? Yeah, I think it helped a lot because working as a speech pathology student, you really have the chance to experience um, the flavor of working in different settings in depth. Yeah, I really enjoyed my hospital placements, but I feel like I personally really get emotional when I see those really sick um, patients. That's why after I graduated, I feel like Although hospital is really fun and it's really very interesting to work, but just thinking about my personal ability to handle all of the stress and emotion, I feel like um, maybe not for now. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So did you decide to work at a clinic then after graduating? 
Yeah, so after graduated, I work as a um, key worker, speech pathologist. So basically, key worker is you are the key contact person or key therapist for the family. And sometimes you're not working as a speech pathologist, but also you work as a social worker, for example, to deal with um, the funding application, etc. So that's what we call um, transdisciplinary model. So like you are taking on different hats, but um, yeah. You are also doing your speech pathology job. I was working as a key worker speech pathologist for a non-for-profit organization, but I only stayed there for a couple of months. It's just because I personally really enjoy getting more in-depth um, experience in speech pathology first in the early career stage before I'm able to take on more roles and responsibilities down the track. So that's why I've decided to shift to a more specialized special, uh, speech pathology clinical setting, which is where I am now. Got it. Got it. So mm. you started out at a clinic as a key worker? Mm, that's okay. right. And now you've transitioned to another clinic as a speech language pathologist. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Got it. I think I was a little confused because I saw that you work for a hospital. Yeah. Like in hospital, they have different departments. In hospital, they have inpatient and outpatient settings. Traditionally, inpatient setting is like for those people who are really sick and uh, stay in the ward. But I work in the outpatient settings. We don't have any patients stay overnight. They just come in and for the session and then leave. Yeah, for those outpatients, they're more like for medically stable patients to come in and just drop in for a one-on-one session. You can just interpret as a GP clinic, for example. Got it. Interesting. And while you were searching for jobs, were there any difficulties you encountered as an international student? I personally, uh, I feel like I'm lucky enough that I didn't encounter any um, difficulties looking for a job as a, a speech pathologist. But back then, when I was looking for my internship as a marketing intern, I did encounter a lot of, lot of um, challenges and difficulties. I'm not a HR person like that can speak for the human resource management, but I personally feel there are two factors. The one is the supply and demand. Because in Australia, we are really in shortage for healthcare professionals, for example, the nurse, the doctors. So the supply is lower than the demand at the moment. So it's really easy for us to find a job. And also another thing is finding a job as speech pathologist, what they are really looking for was um, your registration. So once you get re- registration, it's like a pass card for uh, getting a job on, in this field. But back then working in marketing, the demand is really, like the supply is really higher than the demand. That's why I personally found it's hard to find a job in marketing. That's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Hmm. Interesting. Anyways, I think it's really cool that you have the marketing experience and you have the healthcare experience so you can like actually compare. That's, that's yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. really cool. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would you be able to share your immigration status? Uh, are you like PR now or what has your journey been through through the different visa statuses? 
Yeah, when I initially came here, I was an international student. So on my student visa for my entire bachelor and marketing bachelor and also master degree. And after graduate, I applied for the temporary graduate visa. So like for the subclass 485, if I remember, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's part of the package. And I was lucky enough because after, because I applied in Fab after I graduated and I got an invite for the permanent residency in August, the same year, and then became a permanent resident of Australia. Mm. Congrats. Thank you. That also sounds super fast. You said you applied in February and you got it in August. Applied in Fab and got the invitation in August and got the PR in September. Cool, cool. Mm. That's yeah, it was amazing. really quick. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Is it because you work in healthcare? Like maybe they speed up the process or is that like fairly standard? I think so because like back then when I was uh, applying for my PR, I think the government released some like press conference or something say, oh, we are prioritized those working healthcare. I was in the fast track stream um, to get my PR. I th- Just based on my information the information I've got yeah that well that makes yeah that would make a lot of sense and going back to your job search how did you go about finding employers yeah I feel like in healthcare the recruiters they are really active looking for new grads I built up my LinkedIn profile really early and even before I graduate I got a lot of private messages from recruiters just say oh, are you looking for a job or something so I did have a chat with some of the recruiters just to get to know how's the salary going to look like how's the benefits how's the case look look like and after I graduated, I also did some research by myself on Seek, those like mainstream job hunting websites. And then just, and also have a chit chat with my friends, say, how's your offer look like? Just to get some insider information. Yeah, before I made my decision. Got it, got it. And did you have to check if an employer would hire international students or hire non-permanent residents at the time or was that already not a problem oh that's not a problem they just because like they just want to make sure you have the working rights in australia and you have your registration i think that's two things they care about and they don't care about whether you have pr or not awesome sounds like a Mm. great sounds like a great field for internationals if they're interested (laughs) in healthcare Exactly. Yeah. Like you don't feel like you are discriminated just based because your um, visa status, I would say. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And when you were considering employers to work for, were there any specific things you considered? Yeah. So I feel like I really care about the culture of the company, like how um, they value their um, employee. And um, I really value about um, how they um, treat their patients or um, their clients because it did explain about how they are going to treat your employees as well. And also benefits, salaries, for sure. That's what we are working for, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And also the career progression pathways. Mm, Those are things I would consider. Oh, got it. Could you share what career progression looks like in your field? Yeah, because I'm still considered as an early career speech pathologist. I use, mainly do all of the like clinical work. 
And after a couple of years, I might progress to grade two. So for grade two, you will take more responsibilities, for example, supervising students. And in the other hand, you will have one to two specialized areas that you want to dive into deep. And after a couple of years of being grade two, some people, they would progress to grade three. So that's more like a, a management role um, to manage all of the speech pathologists. Or some people, they would even consider to open their private practice, for example. Um, it just really depends on what kind of um, work-life balance you are looking for and how far you want to progress your career to and which direction you want. Got it. Got it. And are there any exit options? Like in case someone decides after a few years, they're like, I, I like this, but I want to try something new. What are your options at that point? Yeah, so because I'm, I'm, I haven't reached that point yet. But back to my uni days, I, we do have a lot of mature age students. They are thinking about a career shift. Yeah, which is really brave, I would say. And also, yeah, they are taking a lot of, they're more like adventurer, I would say. Yes, I do have, I do met someone like who have already been a social worker for 10 years and then decided to be a speech pathologist. Or I do met someone who was a speech pathologist and now working like to create her own therapy resources and sell to other speech pathologists. So entrepreneur, yeah. Got it, got it. And are there any red flags for you when you're looking at different employers? I would say because we do have KPIs in our field as well. For example, like how many patients you are seeing per day. And I think one of the questions to test red flag could be like ask for the KPIs of the company and the way they calculate the KPIs. That's one thing. And the other thing is, as an early career speech pathologist, I would ask how much supervision the company is able to provide to me. Because in the early career, you still have a lot of questions you want to ask someone. The supervisor is the key person to determine like how much support you will get. And also ask about the opportunities for further professional development. For example, the extra training you will be able to get or the opportunities to collaborate with different people, and also the staff turnover rates of the company. Because we have such a high demand in this field, sometimes for some company, the staff turnover rates is really high. It might expand something. Yeah, so those are things I will look into when I'm looking for a new job. Got it, got it. What kind of KPIs would be like a turnoff for you? I would say it really depends on the setting you are working in because, for example, if you're working in a hospital, like inpatient hospital, because the time you are seeing each patient is really short, for example, only 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah, maybe in one morning you will be able to see five to six clients or patients. But in the clinic setting, because one appointment is one hour, so sometimes you are seeing four to five um, patients per day. So it's hard for me to give a concrete number say how much KPI uh, we are looking at. But I think as long as you feel it's doable and it's reasonable and it's not giving you a lot of pressure to achieve the KPI, that will be a sweet spot. 
Got it, got it. And mm-hmm. as let's say you're looking for your first speech pathology job, would you have an idea of what kind of KPI is reasonable, like maybe based on your placements or how would you figure that out? Yeah, I think one of the very useful thing was to ask your seniors. So like your friends or like your friend friends, for example, because you guys have been all through this process before. And one thing because it's hard to tell from placement is in the placement, you all of your workload is allocated by your supervisor. So it's hard to tell because you are not allowed to see patients independently. It needs to be supervised. So it's really hard for you to tell whether this is a day going to look like after I work independently. Yeah, from the placement, it's really hard to tell. And what would you say is your least favorite part of being a speech-language pathologist? I would say I talk too much. (laughs) Because as a speech pathologist, for example, if one appointment is one hour and you are seeing four to five patients per day, it's five hours nonstop talking. And working with kids, it's really draining because you really have to exaggerate your affect to make your appointment fun and enjoyable. So yeah, I feel like after days of working, my throat is just really dry and tired. Yeah, that's the least favorite part, working the speech pathologist that you talk too much. Thanks for talking to me right now. <laughs> no, that's a different thing. It's like you're working with kids, you really have to like doing the intonations, but like adult conversation, that's fine. Let's just keep it going. Don't worry. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, no, you have to really exaggerate your whole voice and demeanor. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I feel like I don't even need to go to the gym to work out or anything because I, I was crawling on the ground all day, every day and jump with the kids, doing star jumps. Oh, yeah, everything. <laughs> so it's a quite an active role too. Yeah, exactly. Is there anything you found surprising about your role? Something you weren't expecting before you started uh, being a full-time language pathologist? Yeah, I would say sometimes the progress um, of the clients really surprise you a lot because you feel like, oh, I didn't do that much, but you've already made such a huge progress. So that's one thing that really surprised you. Uh, also, like the varieties of area of practice that speech pathologists can do. So for example, before I first started, I was thinking, oh, it's only for fixing people's um speech sound. But after I started, I feel like I can work with two-year-old who can barely say single words but also I can work with five-year-old who has a stutter or I can work with three-year-old who has very cute speech sound arrows or I can even like be a parent coach to coach them how to communicate with the children so like just a variety that the job can bring to me what would you say your workload is like my workload, you mean like how much work I do per day or every day? Yeah. yeah. I think it's a sweet spot for me at the moment. Although I work full time, I work like five days per week from 8.30 to 5 p.m. It's really long hours, uh, but I don't have to do any work over like overtime work yet after I leave the hospital place because I don't have the access to the computer. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, also, yeah. And also like I got five weeks annual leave. And also for each month we have an extra day of day off 
to add up all together, I think I have a lot of time, like enough time to just to plan for a big holiday ahead or just to get a long weekend, for example. And yeah, so I think that's a sweet spot for me. Sounds like great work-life balance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I realized, I think I didn't really ask about the application process of the job or these sorts of healthcare jobs. How does the application process compare to say typical like corporate jobs? Is it like you apply, you interview, is it that kind of thing as well? Or how does it work? I think each organization, they vary. So if you have a recruiter that you trust, you can just give the, give your resume to the recruiter and They will just find the matchy job for you and they will arrange all of the interview for you with the um, employers. So that's one pathway. And the other pathway is just a traditional seek process. So you just hand in your resume. They will schedule a phone call interview first just to get to know more about yourself. And after that, they might schedule a face-to-face interview or even like a Zoom call. So in the interview, they will ask, for example, all of the traditional questions, tell me more about yourself. And also for some employers, they will ask some clinical questions. So I will give you a case how would you make your therapy plan for example for this little kiddo yeah and also for some companies they would even have multiple rounds of interview so for example the first round is about your soft skills your interpersonal skills and the second round would be more clinical focused I think that's pretty similar to the corporate job but I think another tiny little bit difference will be sometimes they will give you a real case scenario to test your clinical knowledge. So you said the second interview tends to be more clinical. So that is that the one where they tested your knowledge with a real scenario? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes some company, they will blend those two parts together. Yeah. But like sometimes it's going to be really stressful. You are the only person and they have three different people from three different departments on a zoom call that could be a really stressful process that that sounds intense yeah that's really intense but what do you think is the most tricky part of the interview I think the most tricky part the clinical part is actually the easiest because yeah that's related to what you've learned but for the soft skill part that could be a bit tricky because as I've mentioned you work in different settings so different settings they have different expectations for a speech pathologist sometimes they expect you to collaborate with other professionals sometimes they expect you to work independently so it's really hard to um, tailor your answer to meet their needs that's one thing and the other thing is I feel like the reference check could be a bit stressful as well yes because for example example they may co-op the reference say what do you think about this person should we hire her yeah because like you are not there with your reference so it's hard for you to tell oh did I say something good to about me or did I say something some constructive feedback yeah but what point in the process does the reference check happen So firstly, it's a phone call interview, and then it's the face-to-face interview. And after the face-to-face interview, um, some company, they would contact your reference because they think um, they're going to offer you the job. But some company, they just contact your reference no matter the decision is. So yeah, it's going to be a bit um, stressful. Like what if they contact your reference and they didn't offer you the job? That could be a bit awkward. 
Got it, got it. So it tends to be in between the interview and the offer. Yeah, that's right. Interesting. Yeah, because I think in most corporate jobs, it comes after the offer. So after they give you the offer, they then they yeah. do reference checks. And then you if they say some really bad stuff about you, then you get your offer rescinded. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but I think it depends on like the organization's preferences. Because like right. my um hospital job, um, they just contact my reference straight away, and yeah, and one of my reference was my previous manager, so it's really stressful. Yeah, do you have to like call up your references first and give them a heads up, or? Yeah, I would usually get their permission to before I apply for the job anyway, because I don't want to surprise them. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yes, exactly. It seems like maybe the healthcare field might be stricter about references, and they're more intense about them. Yeah, because I feel like when I was applying for my marketing internship, there's no such a thing called reference. But uh, when I was applying for my healthcare job, everything you need a reference, or even two or three. Wow. Mm. I guess it makes a lot of sense because you're dealing with like real humans and their lives and stuff. That's right. That's right. Is there any type of people that you think would not be a great fit for this role? Mm, I would say the introvert introvert may not be a great um, fit for this role. Um, I personally am an introvert in daily life, but an extrovert in my work. So being a speech pathologist, we really have to build up relationship with people in a short period of time to get their trust, to help them to be open up to you. If you are introvert, sometimes really hard to open up and get the trust. That's one type of people I think may not be a good fit. The other per, um, type of people is those who are really traditional and not ready to embrace a new culture because being a speech pathologist you really have to work with people from different backgrounds not, not culturally but also for example the different social um, status and also like the different life stages just think about um, how um, diverse the population is in Australia so if you are holding up yourself and stay in the comfort zone um, it's really hard for you to take on any changes or to understand other people's backgrounds I personally found it might be hard for those two type of people I'm not saying like it's they are not good or something it just really depends on like, like compatibility What's your biggest tip for anybody who wants to go into speech pathology? Yeah, I would say just be real, be yourself, because at the end of the day, you are a human. You are not a working machine. The way how you present yourself would impact how you deliver your service, how you build up relationship with others. Because as a speech pathologist, it's a people job. It's not a machine job or coding job. You are not dealing with coding or data or anything. You are dealing with human. So just be real and be open-minded to understand other people's experience, their life stories, and do not be judgmental. Because if you are being judgmental, you are wearing your lens. It's going to impact your um, service provision. And also it might um, pro prevent you um, to build up relationship to know other people um, as a person. Final question. If you had a second chance, is there anything you would redo in your professional career so far? 
Yeah. So let me just have a think. Mm, that's a really good reflective question, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I'm really happy uh, with where I am at the moment and I'm not regretting um, anything I've done. But yeah, professional-wise, I wish I could learn more about human like life science back to bachelor time. So I have more like concrete foundation for me to work in my speech pathology role because at the end of the day, it's more like a healthcare role, not a psychology role or educational role. I wish I could have a more concrete idea. And also when I was looking for my new grad job, so like the first job out of uni, I wish I could consider more different settings rather than just the private clinic setting. Because once you focus on one setting, you are not thinking about the possibilities in other fields, but actually working at the other field is going to be really different from where you are looking at the moment. I think that would be two things I would restart. Yeah, if I have the chance. Got it, got it. Thank you so much for your time today. You shared a lot of really helpful information about the healthcare field in general, speech pathology. Like I think a lot of students will really find this like really helpful. So thank you so much. No worries. And I hope like my experience could help more people when they're in the kind of don't know where to go. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it's going to be helpful.